Meow. The Agora podcast is covered under the Bibcot no-gov license. That means the reuse and reproduction is authorized by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at bibcot.org. Hey folks, Zach here. Uh, before we start the episode, I just wanted to make an announcement. The Agora podcast has sold out. That's right, we've got an advertiser. And I'm just kidding, but uh, this episode is brought to you by Proud Libertarian. Wear your politics on your sleeve with the great libertarian merchandise from ProudLibertarian.com. Whether you're a voluntarist agorist, libertarian, anarchist, or any shade of freedom in between, ProudLibertarian.com has you covered, literally. They have campaign merch, as well as a ton of original content created by their design team. Be sure to check out their collection of black flags, as well as their survival gear collection, complete with knives, emergency food, and solar equipment. If you need Liberty merch, Proud Libertarian com is your go-to place. They take Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other forms of non-fiat, including Doge. Go to ProudLibertarian.com and enter code SEK3 at checkout for 10% off your first purchase. So they are a merchandise and clothing company owned and operated by Libertarians. Um, they make a lot of Liberty-oriented shirts and stickers, and um, they can set you up with your own line of merchandise um they've got a lot of good stuff over there so feel free to go check them out and like uh like i said get 10 percent off if you enter code sek3 thank you in addition to that uh, my lady makes tinctures and right now she is selling a chamomile tincture uh, it's a four ounce bottle with a dropper uh, she sells that for ten dollars. Um, it's it's pretty good. I have trouble sleeping sometimes, and uh, it works as as good, if not better, than say melatonin or something along those lines. Uh, if you're interested in that, please reach out to me at S E K M C G O R A on Telegram, all caps, and I can get you set up with that. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome to the Agora Podcast. Thank you for being uh, such loyal listeners and everything. We have on relatively short notice a uh, very special guest and a very special episode for you. Um, kind of set to address some of the uh, recently rapidly unfolding world events. So I uh, just want to thank all of our fans for uh, being such loyal listeners. A lot of them which are, I have to very obviously must be new listeners. A, because we're a pretty new podcast and we've really gotten a rapid growth in our audience from what i've seen over the years so if or over the past sorry a few weeks so um if you have listened uh recently we had an episode our 10th episode featuring uh scott horton that i think all of you most of our audience if not all will um recognize 
and he is joining us today to talk about some of the uh, recent events in Afghanistan. Uh, Sec, did you have anything to say before we get, got going? Nope, just Scott, thanks. I know you're doing a victory lap right now. Um, so thanks for taking the time <laughs> to uh, to join us, man. Yeah, well, it's some vindication, you know, I don't know. Um, uh, yes, it's true that I was right about it, but I was just, uh, you know, the default is peace, right? If there's going to be a war, it better really, really, really be justified. And so me and a lot of other people have seen all along that this is not the right thing. And then, um, you know, I don't know. Well, I, I feel really bad that none of us were able to do a damn thing about it. And even up until right now, I, I don't take one bit of credit. And I don't guess any anti-war activist in America takes one bit of credit for actually helping bring the war to an end now. It's simply the calendar and the Taliban that beat us. I'll still take... Um, the you know, I'll still be happy about a war ending. Any war that's that's ending, I'm I'm happy about. Well, first que uh, first question right off the bat is, do you think they'll find an excuse to go back? Nah, it's too late, man. That ship has sailed. I mean, or depending on how broadly you're willing to define go back, but regime change is out. The Taliban rules the capital city. The previous government no longer exists at all. There's a small collection of. Uh, you know, old Northern Alliance warlords, parts of the government we've been backing, who have retreated to the Panjshir Valley. And that is um, uh, the son of Shah Massoud from back in the 80s, from Rambo 3 fame, and uh, also in alliance with a guy named Mohammed Atta Noor. And uh, I'm sorry, I had the other name on the tip of my tongue a second ago. Um, but anyway, so these guys are are uh, planning to hold out, although yeah, I got to say, I give it about maybe even like a 60-40 shot that that's going to be resolved peacefully. But they're just so overmatched that the Taliban are going to end up probably taking that area by negotiation and handshakes the way they have virtually the rest of the country. And, you know, there's been such hysteria on the news over the bungled collapse and ask me a specific question about it i can tell you about how bungled it was and everything but a lot of that is losing sight of the larger narrative that what the taliban has done here is this massive what the french call a coup de main which is where you just do one big surprise attack and win and in this case it was mostly peaceful it was you know like um when the russians took the crimean peninsula in 2014 they already had a naval base there and with the equivalent of Marines, whatever you call Russian Marines, and maybe Marines, I don't know. Uh, and essentially, they just went outside and said, okay, well, this land belongs to us now. And then it was over. You know what I mean? And that's pretty much what's happened here. There's been some violence. They'd go into a military base and maybe shoot the commander in the head. But then they let all the enlisted guys go. And they did this over and over and replicated this throughout the country. Put down your rifles and go home. So not only are they not executed, they're not even thrown in a filthy jail or anything. They're allowed to go about their day. And they've been offering full amnesty toward all collaborators with the Americans, all former government employees, this kind of thing. You know, people are thinking like the worst case scenario of, you know, like it's ISIS taking over the Western Iraq in 2014, where it's total chaos and mass executions in the streets and throwing gay people off the roof and 
all this kind of crazy stuff. That's not happening, at least not yet. And they have respected their ceasefire with the Americans this whole time. So there's a lot of fear right now about, and I got to tell you, I don't know about this number. I, I just don't know, but it doesn't sound right to me. But my, you can't see them, but right now my shoulders are shrugging very high. Um, that uh, they say there's 15,000 Americans spread throughout Afghanistan somewhere that need to get out of there. And I don't know if they're talking CIA or contractors or, mercenaries or contractors, you know, or, or who they have in mind there. It just doesn't add up to me. It just sounds crazy to me to think that you have how many civilians who aren't absolutely like directly tied, who didn't leave town with the army units when they pulled out of the last spot where they were stationed in Nangarhar province or, you know, wherever they were, or, or they didn't see the massive collapse of the country and they didn't get in a dune buggy and get the hell out of Kandahar province back and most of the weeks ago, you know, most of the country fell before cobbles are a lot are a very large portion of it. So where have they been, you know, and what were they doing? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I find maybe out, they I find were afraid to, to move. Yeah. Maybe they were afraid to move around too soon or something like that. I, I don't know. I just don't know where those numbers come from. But anyway, regardless, there's been no evidence that they are being stopped from traveling to Kabul. Now I did see some reports that there were claims that they were being stopped. But the Taliban are, you know, in by negotiation, are saying that we will let any American with a passport get to Kabul, get to the airport, and get out of the country. We're not trying to stop you at all. And uh, I see the hawks, these pathetic dead-ender hawks. Um, Bill Rogio, I try to respect him. He's such a hawk, but he's, he's so good on details that I have followed him for years. And, um, and here he's like, congratulations to the reporter who screamed at Joe Biden over and over again today as he walked out. Why do you trust the Taliban? Why do you trust the Taliban? Making this all about trusting the Taliban? Come on, man. The Taliban is the Taliban. Nobody disputes that. You can say it as a tautology because everybody knows exactly what this means, right? Um, these guys are medieval, hillbilly, back-ass words, ruthless fighters who even use suicide terrorism if they need to or if they think they need to um are you know nobody is confused about the character of the taliban certainly not the president of the united states wh whoever he is and i hate all presidents i'm no biden supporter here i'm just a reality supporter here it's not a issue of trusting the taliban it's an issue of we have a deal with them and we insist to them that you guys are going to keep living up to this deal now, right? And they keep saying, yeah, as long as you do, right? And then we say, yeah. And then both sides keep living up to the deal, right? So, okay, you know, you can call it whatever you want. That's not really trust. It's a matter of, you know, both sides staying, factually speaking, staying within the deal and acting that way. And so, for example, here's the counterexample. Our guys try to flee the embassy in Kabul for the airport and they get machine gunned the whole way two miles down the highway. Or they get mortared the whole way to the airport and the Taliban blows up the tarmac and starts blowing. There's only one runway at the Kabul airport. They have already got uh, Bagram Air Base. We'd have to drop a lot of paratroopers on Bagram and take that thing back. That'd be a bitter fight. So, but anyway, they could just mortar the runway. And then start blowing up American planes on, or, you know, they could attack the Kabul airport 
it could be some total, you know, you make up the action movie, worst case scenario for the Taliban takeover of Kabul. We haven't seen that. Haven't seen that. And so it ain't no apology for him and it's no call to trust him. But it's just to say that people are acting as though Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge came to town and they're going to kill every last somebody around. It just doesn't seem to be the way it's playing out at all. I'm pretty well, sure they want the Americans to leave every American to leave as soon as possible. I think they even want a lot of the Afghans that want to leave to leave. I'm pretty sure. And that's that's exactly what I, the move I would make, too. Uh, sounds right. Exactly that sounds I right. Today's the first day of the rest of their life. They just seized the right. capital city. They're no longer an insurgency. Now they're the government. And these guys are very conservative guys. Anyway, not really radicals, very conservative guys. Now, what are they going to do? They're going to give the biggest middle finger in the whole world to every powerful national government on the planet and say, we want to go right back to full ostracism where we were in the year 1999 when we were recognized only by Pakistan and Saudi. You know, they, why would they want to do that? And they're not doing that. You know, they're, the Chinese and the Russians and others are keeping their embassies open. I think the Americans should keep their embassy open and test this, you know? They will well, now I don't want the so CIA bad. there making deals with the Taliban to support the Uyghurs against China. So forget I said that. Take that back. <laughs> well, it's it would be the right strategic move from the perspective of the Taliban to be as gracious and well, not gracious, but as um, civil as they possibly can be, considering it's you know kind of a war zone. But um, they don't want to give anybody an excuse to come back. You know what I mean? So. If they can make friends with the people and not commit atrocities to the people who collaborated with the U.S. and not blow up U.S. planes on the way out, because that would for sure mean that they, we'd be coming back someday, um, then that's in their that's in their best interest. They can actually form you know a government that they control. Otherwise, it's just back to warfare again. So, from the the perspective of the Taliban, that's the it seems to be the smartest move, you know, considering their interests. How much they've got a huge win here. Why right. test it? You know exactly. How much of the country do you think actually supports the Taliban versus how much do you think actually supported uh, the U.S. puppet government? You know that's a really great question. I wish I knew. I'll tell you what. There's they no must question. have popular support. The Taliban. I mean, well, there's no question that the Taliban have more support than the American installed government in essentially all of the Pashtun regions, the predominantly Pashtun areas in the south and east of the country. And they also had a pretty strong readout up there near uh, Kunduz in the north from a previous planned migration thing back in the 1920s. But anyway, um, so that much is certain. The Hazaras and the Tajiks and the Uzbeks, I think, mostly are frightened of them because they are essentially... Uh, uh, you know, Pashtun supremacist kind of an organization in a way. I, I shouldn't say supremacist in, a, in too much of a like a Nazi connotation, but I just mean, you know, they're going to have it their way. At the same time, though, you know, the old Taliban is over and gone. Mullah Omar is gone. And it's 20 years later. A lot of these guys are a lot younger guys. And they seem to have adopted a new strategy after the surge, maybe even just in the last five or six years. And I'm sorry, guys, I need to go back and check this thing. I knew the answer to this, but now I forget if it was before or after 
No, I know what it was. I do know now. Okay. Mullah Omar died in 2013, but they didn't admit that till 2015. And then not too long after that, America assassinated the new leader, Mullah Mansour. And then he was replaced by this guy, uh, Hakan Zada. I'm sorry, I forgot his first name. So Hakan Zada is, you know, presumably the top leader of the Taliban now, although I don't think he's claimed political leadership in Kabul as of yet. I don't know where he is. Maybe he's in Doha. But anyway, Hakan Zada comes in and becomes the new leader then in 2015 or 16. And I think he's the one that has this new strategy that's much more like David Petraeus's People's War, you know, cribbing from Mao Zedong. And of course, the Americans could never pull this off, but these guys are from there, right? And so a big part of their counter, or not counter, but their insurgency campaign is uh, has been, instead of just warring against all collaborators and all institutions created by the U.S. and their collaborators, that instead they would just usurp them all. So there's no point in burning down all the school buildings. We'll just appoint the principal and the teacher. And there's no point in blowing up the police station. We'll just make sure our guy's the police chief. And it just takes a few pointed assassinations and then you make your guy the guy. And then you move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And that also at the same time that they were doing this uh, across the countryside, right? They stay out of the big cities because that's how to get really bombed and, and taken on. But all throughout the countryside, they're doing this and just taking over all of the local institutions. The American you know, puppet regime, they have their court system in the daytime, but the Taliban have the real court system at night for civil and criminal disputes and all the rest of it. The shadow government is, you know, really taking care of all business. It's been going on for years and years and years. And then at the same time, they're making deals with Hazaras and Tajiks and Uzbeks and others and saying, hey, this is not a Pashtun only organization. We're just good Muslims and we'd like to welcome you to join and let's cut a deal and shake hands and how about some money the Americans gave it to us for free so here you can have some pass it all around and then move on to the next one so they've been you know for years and years and years preparing for you know this last few weeks and making sure that they already rule the place so everybody finds themselves so surprised by this you can read it. It's in my book. No lie. It's true. From uh, four years ago this week. Came out on August the 16th of 2017. And right there on page 209. Thank you, Twitter man, for pointing that out to me, whoever it was. That right there on page 209. I say, one, the government's a joke. It can't possibly stand without American support. The whole project is bankrupt. You might as well quit. You can't hold it up. And then two, the Taliban's back in force. They rule more than half the country or, you know, half the country in the daytime and 65% at night or whatever it is. And um, when the government falls, that's just proof. And it will fall as soon as we withdraw support from it. It will fall. And that's just but that's not a reason to stay. That's just proof that the whole thing was a fool's errand all along and it would never work, et cetera, et cetera. It's all right there within one screenshot of each other. Both of those major points <laughs> right there. Uh, in the book. So they could have, should have known that, you know, and, but so then I'm sorry, that's a long ass way in it to answer your question about how many Hazaras and Uzbeks and Tajiks have they been able to bring in from these 20% minority groups into their, 
you know, a new system or, or how many of those people have they been able to win their confidence? I really don't know. You know, that's a, I'll tell you what, man, when the Taliban took over Kabul in 96, they were welcomed into town and, and Kabul is not a predominantly Pashtun city at all. It wasn't then and it isn't now. And yet they were welcomed into Kabul the other day too. And there, you know what, there are pictures of them being celebrated in Kandahar city that were labeled Kabul and are being debunked as not really Kabul, but Kandahar city. And that, that much is true. But there are other pictures of, yes, they were welcomed by cheering throngs of people into Kabul and including the kids racing down the street, chasing their trucks, cheering for them and all this kind of stuff. Like Dick Cheney said would happen when we invaded Iraq, you know, <laughs> greet us with flowers and candy and all this kind of thing. That is how they were welcomed. And why? It isn't because, oh, good, a bunch of hillbillies from the far side of 500 miles away from here have come and invaded our wonderful capital city. Thank goodness that we can start obeying all of their customs now. That's not what it is. It couldn't be that. So what is it then? It's not the U.S. It's corruption, right? Yeah. yeah. First of all, they're from at least it's Afghanistan, even if it's South Afghanistan. And it's the corruption of the warlords and the criminals that America's been supporting in this power in this place all along. And then therefore, you know, rampant crime rings of at all levels. And then the Taliban come and they promise one thing, law and order, and they bring it and people have confidence. And so really, right, like that's the basis of all governments, anatomy of the state, right? We're your security force. And of course, that's not really true. All governments are here to prey off of you, but that is their number one propaganda routine that we are here to protect you and to maintain peace and calm and security and in most cases, people demand that their governments actually do that for them to some degree or another. In America, it's different. We just let them kill us and don't worry about it. But um, but so the Taliban mostly have been standing around, pointing their guns at the ground and watching people go about their daily lives and not harassing them very much. I'm not again, I'm not making excuses for them. I'm sure there's horrible things going on, too. I don't know. But there's I've also seen pictures of boys and girls going to school people going to work, Taliban basically standing around like traffic cops and not, you know, inflicting chaos on the people of the capital city that they've just sacked. So and why would you do anything else? That they're making all the right decisions. I'm just astounded that they're making all the decisions that I would have made and I couldn't even think of. I mean, they're doing everything right and they're so restrained. They don't have, I mean, the, the, look, the, the global media narrative being what it is, it's always going to be about the the the, the reprisal is about to happen. They're going to sh they're going to take away all women's rights and close down all the girls' schools and bulldoze them, whatever. And they're going to keep pushing this narrative, but you know, they're just there. They there's no um there's no like there's no casa spelli. There's no uh, thing that they can actually. Yeah, you, you said there's no violating of the truce or the deal. There's they're not doing anything. They can they can actually provoke any kind of negative response or outcome for them and um that's got to be very very frustrating to the to, to the to the u.s and to the hawks who definitely want to you know keep keep this thing going or punish them and keep or in mind now keep in mind too that that could change they might do something really stupid where you say man if i was them i would not have done that in any day now you know what i mean there's no point in dismissing that these are not wise men but wiser than some others sure right like what would walter block say 
compared to what, <laughs> right? So compared to Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi and the caliphate, 2014 through 17 over there in East Syria and Western Iraq, well, these guys are not so bad. You know, compared to your local uh, county commissioner's court, they're probably at least a little bit worse, you know? Um, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. And listen, they've bitten off a lot. We'll see if they can chew it, right? How much autonomy are they going to give to various warlords around the country? Uh, and how much autonomy are those warlords going to demand for their continued cooperation uh, versus when will it be worth it for them to break out into insurgency and fight? Um, it's Afghanistan is not a democracy. And the people did not elect the Taliban. And probably if they held a real election where you could like somehow use I dream of genie powers and just give everybody a political party that more or less represents their different political factions, not necessarily just ethnic and tribal factions, but different kinds of ideological and whatever different factions from around the country and let them have a fair vote. I think the Taliban probably would not do very well, you know, but the problem is, is again, compared to what? And in this case, it's compared to the corrupt warlords that America has, you know, put on the country all this time. And so, um, you know, apparently it wasn't very difficult for them to win. I can't say it must have been just because they had their rifles pointed the right direction. You know, as Patrick Coburn wrote, this was not really a military victory for them. This was a political victory. You know, they've been greasing these skids for a very long time. Then when the day comes, they snap their fingers. Everybody jumps into place. And then, you know, they showed Baradar, the new uh, one of these high level Taliban guys talking up there. And he said, hey, we should praise God. That was a lot easier than we thought it was going to be. And, and we should be very grateful and not, you know, tempt God by pushing our luck and acting like a jerk right now, everybody. So be cool until I come up with something else to say, you know, over and out. <laughs> that was like one of his first uh, one of his first statements that he put out. So. Well, they must have I mean, even more popular support than we're even giving them credit for here in order to pull something like that off. They'd have to have even support within the the U.S. puppet government. I would think they would have have to have at least some sympathies from most people. In like you said, though, in preference, uh, you know, preference to the Taliban over the corrupt puppet government. You know what I mean? So right. it's like lesser of two evils kind of a situation, but. Hey, this is well, where that's they came the problem. In, in, in 94, so where, this is where their power first came from, was in 94, some people came to Mullah Omar and said, please help us because this local warlord here, I think is in Spin Boldak in the Kandahar province. Mm -hmm. This warlord, he's kidnapped these girls and he's, you know, horribly mistreating them. And please Hell help yeah. us. And Mullah Omar said, okay, boys, grab your rifles. Let's go see about this. And then I forgot if they hang the guy from the light post. I think they hung the guy from the light post. And then they and then people cheered and said, listen, we know some other guys we'd like you to hang from light posts. And they were like, OK. And they went around the country saying to the different warlords, listen, you're going to either join us or die. But if you join us, you're going to also stop being a criminal. You know, like they could be more higher level criminals like gangsterizing off the the tax fund at the highest level that kind of thing but just no more here. just harassing people kidnapping people and committing 
you know, mobster type crimes against the population. You will you will be part of our law and order project. Are you going to find yourself at the end of a rope, too? And the people of Afghanistan supported that because who was it that they were marginalizing? They're marginalizing the warlords that America had supported, the Mujahideen warlords that America had supported in the 80s. And in the 90s, after the Soviets left and the communist government crumbled, all these warlords then tore the country apart with their horrifying civil war. You know, they killed tens of thousands of people. And so the Taliban finally rose to put an end to the gangsterism and an end to the civil war. And that was why they were accepted was just because as religious guys, they were expected to mean what they said. And they mostly did, you know. Damn, Scott, thank you for bringing that up, too, because I was probably 13 or so when I actually first uh, heard that story about the Taliban. Or I'm sure I have about, you know, going to hang in that warlord. And I mean, that that's. That's the alternative. That's what they are the alternative to is basically guys that are taking that are kidnapped, that are put in charge by the Americans, by the way, and uh, are, are taking people's children and raping them. And that's been attested to by tons of U.S. personnel that have been on the ground. That's the kind of or if, if, if not, then theft and destruction of property and so. But you're I mean, we're talking about some, you know, basically the nastiest and most corrupt people in the society are, are, are some of the people that are being put in places militias to you know guard the cities supposedly against the taliban and i mean how how long have they been dealing under these uh these brutal warlords and they don't they don't want to do it any longer from what i understand yeah i mean what a crappy position to be in to have to choose the taliban you know it reminds me of <laughs> back in uh 2004 or something there's a big fight between the Council on Foreign Relations, Condoleezza Rice types, and the neoconservatives. And Jim Loeb was writing about it. It was about, she going to choose Black Will or not? I guess was the topic. Something. And Lou Rockwell titled the article, It's a Heck of a Note. You know how he does like the top line in blue and then the smaller little headline below it? It's a heck of a note to have to root for the Rockefellers. <laughs> and that's kind of the position that the... Uh, that the Afghans are in. Jeez, oh, I guess we're gonna have to settle for the Taliban. So I got I got a question, and it's a kind of a meta question. Now, before I ask it, listen, everybody, I've I've been anti-war since I was protesting Reagan's secret wars in Nicaragua. So this is not a pro-war. I'm not going pro-war on you, but what if we got our way and all of the wars ended? Do you fear the day that the empire comes home? What I mean is they got a lot of toys and personnel around the world right now. What if they brought all that home and it was focused on the domestic population? Is that something you think about at all? Yeah, well, I mean, it's sure already a problem. You know what I mean? Right. We have a massive militarization of the police in the name of the war on terrorism here. Really, we have since the dawn of the terror war even going back to the Clinton years, but especially since W. Bush. And, you know, the FBI, CIA, and NSA all have these massive spying programs against us. And you have all this military equipment, MRAPs and M4s and, you know, bayonets, as Rand Paul made famous. Why do you guys need bayonets? What the hell is this? Um, uh, you know, all that is already far out of control. Um now, as far as, okay, if we close down every military base in America, 
we fire the Marine Corps because they're just light infantry. We already have some of that anyway. And we downsize the Navy and the Air Force and the Army to, you know, 50,000 men for flooding, you know, tornado purposes or whatever. Um, is the, Are they going to be able to turn the rest of those men and that equipment against us and just turn America in the American people into the enemy and make a totalitarian militarized state out of it and all that? Yeah. I mean, potentially sort of kind of, but I think along with the idea of let's demilitarize abroad would be let's demilitarize at home. And, you know, so to refine the point a little bit differently, there's all this hype now about, you know, oh, January 6th and the giant insurrection and the radical right in America and they're all, they're Nazis and they're going to kill us all and all of this kind of thing. And yet... <clears throat> You don't have to be like a sociologist with a PhD to understand that the numbers of extremely radical right-wingers in America who would just murder innocent blacks and Jews or, you know, assassinate a Democrat or some insane thing, those people number in the double digits max, more like single digits, right? It's just, you can't find people like that in America who are I mean, there are real-ass Nazis, really dangerous, potentially dangerous Nazis. But even they don't really, you know, do much outside of prison. You know, uh, maybe they sell some drugs or whatever it is, but they don't really commit terrorist acts, at least with any major frequency. There are some one-off murders and, and, and ugly things. I'm not saying that. But, and then the militia movement... I got to tell you, I knew a lot more about it in the 90s than I know about it now. But I think I was telling Max Blumenthal this last night. Sorry for being repetitive audience land out there. Um, I think these guys are essentially like two or three clicks to the left of Nazis. Right. They're not they're not even really Nazi adjacent. There may be some Nazis in their groups and whatever. But for the most part, the three percenters and the Proud Boys, I don't know. I, I really don't know everything about them. But the Oath Keepers, these groups, I really... I would hazard to guess that the vast, vast majority of them, they're training for a day that never comes when the government outlaws guns and comes to and sends the National Guard and the army to come and round up all the guns. And we got to fight in this apocalyptic civil war against the new world order and this and that. But that isn't happening. They're not going to try to ban rifles. Correct. You know why? Correct. Because of all those militias and all their rifles. And so it's just not... That's a head it's not coming to, right? So then meanwhile, what do right-wingers do? They take their kids to school and then they go to work. And then they come home and they watch TV and go to bed and then they do it again the next day like everybody else. And so be realistic about January 6th. We call it January 6th because it didn't even last till supper time, man. The thing was over that day. It's not the January 6th, 7th, and 8th insurrection. It's the gen the afternoon of the 6th <laughs> insurrection, right? Um, and, and who did it? It was a bunch of QAnon fans and a bunch of Alex Jones fans. Okay, but that's not the entire American right. That's, I don't know what, but that's a small segment. In fact, it's not even, I'm not a statistician, but bear with me. The QAnon fans... And the Alex Jones fans that showed up there 
are still a very small percentage, even of the QAnon fans and of the Alex Jones fans there are out there in the world. A very, very small percentage. And then those people, the larger group that didn't show up there, they are still a very small and marginal percentage of who counts as a right winger in America today, as a conservative, as a Republican voter, as the right half of American political thought and activity broadly defined. Well, there's, there's just not a terrorist to... movement there to fight. So how are you going to create a totalitarian state when you just don't have an enemy to demonize within? I mean, even think about all the accusations about all the Muslims among us are going to kill us all or whatever from 10 years ago. Well, none of that ever came true, did it? Could you declare martial law over that? Could you declare martial law over a bunch of militia guys who aren't doing anything and aren't going to do anything unless you declare martial law? Yeah, there's nah. And you know what? The people who've been saying that that's what's going to happen, like Jones, have yeah. been saying it for 25 years and it still ain't come true yet. So, yeah, yeah I, I can't say that 20 years ago, guys. too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't I can't say um, I mean, the 90s were a crazy time. I, I, I'm just too young to really comment what the mindset was. But, yeah, I don't find any of those. Uh, the right wing militia groups. Uh, yeah, they're they're generally uh, uh, they don't come off very threatening. Generally, I, you know, 50, 60 year old guys and and, um, you know, maybe 40s with military surplus, you know, half um, maybe a third of them are feds or informants anyway. And, uh, you know, guts hanging out of their plate carriers and stuff. I, yeah, I don't see that. And then, of course, they're always yep. training for that same same thing that we've heard all the same narrative we've heard all our life. Like you said, the government's going to come take the guns. And you're right. It's a very rote reason that they're not going to do it is because people, that's the one situation where all these people would be a threat. These people have jobs. They got mortgages and they're. They got things to take care of. Go feed the dog and walk the dog, and you know, do stuff with the kids on the weekends. Like they, uh, they, um, and and maybe that's the one thing that would that, that that's a uh, big, you know, would would stop kind of uh, either radical change or devolution of power or some kind of mass political movement in, in the U.S. That's a whole nother topic. But like, uh, as far as 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 any kind of group coming up, and you can have all sorts of people that might be willing to take up arms this day and age politics politics have really gone all topsy-turvy but uh i i don't see anybody willing to do that and frankly um insurrections and uprisings and, and stuff happen when things are materially like very tough like there is you cannot get grain you cannot get you know um fuel you cannot afford a place to live or food to eat it doesn't happen when um things are you know you're just kind of we just kind of bored and things are kind of just mediocre, which is kind of what we're living through now, in my opinion, anyway. Yep. Agree with one, that. One last question from a listener of ours. Um, what what uh, degree of responsibility do you think the U.S. has to take in refugees from a place they destroyed? Do you think that is a uh, good question? Yeah. You know, um, hell, um I think certainly for people who have a mark on their back because they were collaborators with the American occupation over there. And it can be, you know, honestly concluded by an objective person that these people are, are you know, not dangerous and are going to be fine to bring to the country or whatever. I don't have a problem with any of that. I, I do think, I mean, I guess hypothetically speaking, that also includes just people who want asylum, who just can't, couldn't stand the idea of living under the Taliban and just want to get the hell out. 
but I think there's got to be some kind of rational number on the limit of those people. But I think probably that would be a self-limiting number of people. You know what I mean? I, I think you probably might not have to limit it because it's only so many people are going to want to leave. Most of the people who want to leave now, probably they're essentially refugees, meaning the idea would be that they could go home at some point. They just want to get the hell out of Dodge while things are tense and see how it goes and then come home later if they can. And so I think, you know, that's a whole kind of different question than people just emigrating and saying, all right, oh, well, I'm quitting Afghanistan. I'm shipping off to the new world or where, you know, start my life over again. So, but it, I mean, if it comes to just whatever, a, a third of Afghanistan wants to leave and come to the United States, there's got to be a limit on that. But how many of them would want to come to the U.S. versus travel to elsewhere in the region or, you know, the Gulf or whatever, who knows, uh, instead? But, um, and I do think, you know, not as, don't anybody get me wrong. I'm not trying to be like mean about it to the immigrants or the refugees, but, um, I am in a way being, trying to be mean about it to the war party. And I, I am serious when I say that, I think that it's only fair that they're resettled immediately in Northern Virginia in the Hamptons, at Martha's Vineyard, and at, you know, all of them, you know, in Maryland, and, and in the nicest neighborhoods near Boeing headquarters in Washington, and Lockheed and Fort Worth, and these, you know, the people who have made the most off of this, they should be the ones to resettle these people into their communities, I'm and take responsibility for what they've done. Yeah, there's already some, already some great Afghan restaurants in Northern Virginia, Virginia, tons of them. But yeah, put yeah, them right, uh, yeah. put them right in those, put them right in those those zip codes with the um, with, yeah, with the uh, war profiteers. Absolutely. And think about it too, right? Like as soon as I say that, everybody knows that could never happen. That would never happen. They would never allow that to happen. They're the ones in charge of whether that would happen or not. They would never allow that to happen. They might ship them all to Maine or ship them all to Idaho or ship them all to where there's somebody else's problem. And why? Because. They don't want a bunch of stinky brown Afghans near them. That's how they That's think. That's why, yeah. right? Yeah. And 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 yet they're the ones who've done all this to destroy their society in the name of saving it for 20 years. In the name of, oh, because we love them so much. All the girls yeah. with their I'm education. For liquidating, uh, some sorry. I'm for liquidating some army bases. And the CEOs of Boeing, Lockheed Martin, all their houses can now go to those refugees. I'm absolutely for that. To me, that sounds like restitution for what yeah, these totally people right. have done. Totally yeah, I'm right. absolutely with you there. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Penguin. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Oh, uh, no, I don't, I don't know what I was going to say. I'm probably in response. But uh, Scott, actually, since, uh, since I have the, the, the floor for a second, so to speak, um, I got a quick quick one for you. Um, the Taliban had the U.S. in a position where they were negotiating, negotiating a serious truth, truce, and, and negotiating. Uh, honestly, the U.S. negotiated as if the F the Taliban was going to be a major player, if not take, taking over the country in the future at some point. Um, so they, they have this uh, treaty or truce or whatever it is, document, agreement, uh, signed. And then – sorry, I'm, I'm kind of losing my train of thought there. Okay. They got this uh, treaty or truce signed, and um, 
you know, at that point, the Taliban were, were, were fairly, you know, relatively speaking, fairly sophisticated, fairly up modern and up to date compared to what I, certainly I would have ever expected. Um, and they seem to be somewhat prudent, like forward and forward thinking. And the idea is like they could be a political party. They could be a real political force. They could win over the country by election. And instead, how bad is the situation that they found it easier to steamroll the entire th country in four weeks, including taking the capital in like three days? I mean, that just shows, it, you know, how little I mean, they were degraded. They were degraded again and again and again, and they just never went away. And, and it comes to the point where, like, are you really going to get a country like Afghanistan to choose basically the United States and, and, and friends? Are you going to get those, you know, Afghan security personnel like we were talking about earlier to, to choose the United States over other Afghans who are basically going to win no matter what anyway? They laid down right. their arms. Isn't that what happened? Correct right. me if I'm wrong. I mean, isn't that what happened? Like you said, fairly bloodless. Many okay. That's right. I mean, as soon as they didn't have American air power at their disposal, and as soon as they didn't have endless funds at their disposal, and which, you know, as I wrote about in the book, I just show a little bit of math right there that the cost of just the Afghan government without the army is more than the GDP of the whole country. So hmm. there you go. <laughs> well, now, I heard a completely unsustainable project. The military itself could not exist at all without foreign sponsorship the entire time, every cent. I heard Ghani took uh, 163 million or something in bags to with him to Tajikistan, and I, I'm pretty sure those are all in, denominated in U.S. dollars. Yeah, that's what they say. Uh, and then on to Dubai from there. He's going to live in a five-star hotel for the rest of his life, I guess. One last, uh, one last, quick yes or no, and then then we'll let you go to get your get on to the, with your day. But do you think the guns that were left behind by the U.S. military and friends? Do you think that was left behind intentionally to arm the Taliban in a no. possible fight against the China or something like that? No, no, no. That was left behind for the Afghan National Army to use because they're believing their own BS. They had to essentially believe their own BS about the afghan army that they had created and the afghan government really? that they had created and that it would stand and so the opposite of that think about it they would have had to destroy all those trucks and guns or bring them all back home get them all out of the country and leave the afghan army with nothing and then they would be blamed for obviously be their fault that the afghan army collapsed of course they collapsed we stole and took all of the weapons and and trucks and everything we gave them and took it all back and then so they would be blamed for that. So the only solution for that would have been for Biden's government to come totally clean and tell the entire whole truth to the American people that, look, this government we built is a freaking joke. And this army that we built will never last. And so we don't give a damn if the Hawks try to blame us for taking their weapons and trucks away. The reality is they're not going to last anyway. And we have to destroy all of this stuff because otherwise it'll end up in the hands of the Taliban. And they would have had to say that in February. So they believe right? their own propaganda. So instead they said, well, we got to maintain this fiction that we believe this government can stand for a while. And that compromised with the truth meant that they had to leave these weapons in the hands of the ANA. And so then 
The ANA folded and the Taliban simply inherited it all. Scott, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been a blast, and we'll have you on again real soon. Very and, happy uh, to do you, it. Thank you were you right all so along, just for for the last twenty years. Just so take take that uh, credit for. <laughs> but all thanks, right. bud. It's true. Thanks. <laughs> See you, man. Bye, have man. a good weekend. Bye. Take care. Bye. All right, and listeners, thank you for our listener questions. Like I think we had a couple, so um. Absolutely. You're always welcome to uh, submit those when we announce our guests ahead of time. Join our uh, Telegram groups and our Discord, Telegram group in our Discord, uh, where you can interact with the hosts and, and the, obviously the listener community. All right, Sec, that was a great interview. I'm that was really good and it was quick and I, um, I, I thought it was really uh, informative too. And I hope yeah. everybody enjoyed it. You guys, yeah, kudos are all- to you. Oh, yep. kudos to you to getting getting scott on again i really wouldn't even said that was possible so soon after what happened happened yeah he's but, so busy uh, right sure. now yeah he's, he's oh, just yeah. doing this for over and over again yeah but um yeah everybody be excellent to each other and uh and peace and thanks for listening all right take care guys I want